You are now listening to the DynastySportsEmpire.com podcast with your host, Lawrence Marino. Welcome back to the show. This is Lawrence Marino for the Dynasty Sports Empire Fantasy Sports Podcast. Today we're going to be talking to Michael Clifford of Project Roto. But before we bring Mike on, just want to give a shout out to Ender for our intro music today at Ender Metal NJ on Twitter. Check him out on Spotify uh, under Ender, E-N-D-E-R. And uh, we're going to get into it with Michael Clifford. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Lawrence. How are you, sir? I'm uh, not too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, Michael Clifford from Project Roto, uh, one of my confidants when it comes to fantasy hockey. He's, he's the guy I go to with all my questions uh, at Slim Cliffy on Twitter. Uh, Mike, we're going to be going over our midseason awards today. It's our midseason awards show. To start off, I mean, what was what's what's your what's your take on the first half of the season? I mean, I felt a little let down. Do you do you see things uh, going a certain direction? Are things going exactly as you had thought they were going to go? Give me a little like a you know in a vacuum how this first half of the season looks to you. Well, I think um, you know obviously there's some big surprises. Columbus being one of them. I mean, they had that amazing uh, win streak. I think it was 16 games or whatever. It, it tied um, the modern record. Um, for a win streak. So obviously um, them going from out of the playoffs near the basement last year um, to lead the league this year is just incredible. But I think what stuck out, I hate to be negative, but what stuck out to me um, so far this season is kind of the disappointments. Um, you know, I thought this would be the year the Winnipeg Jets took a step forward. You look at all the talent in their lineup. I mean, Shifley and Ehlers and Wheeler and Line A and Fofflin and Truba, and, you know, you thought maybe the goaltending would take a step forward with Connor Hellebuck in that, and they just really haven't done that. I mean, Hellebuck hasn't been good, and, obviously, and you know, now that they have Andre Pavlich starting for him, so obviously things aren't going well in net for them. But even as a team, um, their underlying metrics and their underlying numbers aren't very good, so I think that's really surprising for me. And also the Los Angeles Kings, um, you know, for about a half a decade now, or a little even a little bit more, They've been one of the dominant possession teams in the NHL, and they are again this year. Um, but they're not really generating goals, and they've never been known for generating goals um, by any stretch of the imagination. But they're not generating many scoring chances, and you got to think some of that is um, Tyler Toffoli being missing because they don't really have a depth of scoring talent up front. So you know Toffoli's been out for a while. They're missing Marion Gabrick there for a stretch. So once they get healthy, I'd like to see what they can do. Um, and, and I think the biggest surprise for me um, is Colorado. Uh, you look at, at what they're doing. They have under 30 points so far this year. They're on pace to be one of the worst teams this century, um, which is absolutely stunning. When you look at um, a team that has the talent that they have, they have Matt Shane and they have Nathan McKinnon and they have Gabriel Landeskog. Miko Rantanen looks to be a, a very good young player. Um, Tyson Berry on the blue line. Um, you know, they had they seem to have a good goal in duo in Parlamov. Um, and Calvin Pickard, but they're just like terrible. Like there's nothing positive to say about this team. Um, they, I thought them bringing in Jared Bednar as a coach would turn things around, but, um, you know, they looked really good through the first two or three weeks of the season. Eric Johnson got injured and it's just been, uh, 
you know, downward spiral since then. So, um, you know, again, I'd like to be positive, but I think more than anything, um, those three teams um, and, you know, just how bad um, Colorado is, how much Winnipeg's disappointed and, you know, the lack of, of scoring ability from a Kings team that's that should be better at scoring than they are. I think those are things that have really surprised me so far this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, Colorado was actually a great source if, for fantasy wise, uh, as you know, taking either Varlamov or Pickard. Um, defensively, they would let up a lot of shots, so you would get those. You, you know, you would accumulate the the fantasy points just by having a lot of blocked shots. Unfortunately, Varlamov is letting everything in net, and and Pickard isn't doing a, a great job either. Even though he's the better you know prospect in the organization in net right now, uh, he's he's getting decent playing time while Varley's been injured. Um, but man, it's tough to watch. It's tough to see. Uh, Varley went from 2014 was uh, a top pick was a, a top point getter in DSC. And then 2015, he was banged up. Now he's got banged up again this year. And he's, I mean, letting everything go by. And that was, you know, it turns out maybe to be a wasted pick for some people. Uh, in you know keeper leagues or dynasty leagues, we're gonna build a um, a line basically. You and I, two defensemen, two goalies, left wing, right wing, center, and then we're gonna get into our. We'll do like a little. We'll build a little minor league squad or rookie squad to see where where we're at here uh, with the long term leagues and the dynasty leagues. So we'll start with that first. We'll get into the prospects. What a great year for the NHL draft. Obviously, Austin Matthews, Patrick Line, guys like Matt Murray being go-to guys on their team for fantasy and in real life NHL. Is there a goalie or two right now that you would put as a rookie of the year candidate if you had a choice? Um, you know, I don't think he'll end up playing enough games. Um, but UC Saros, obviously, um, you know, he's had a couple uh, blow-ups recently, which have, um, you know, kind of dampen the enthusiasm that a lot of people had um, for Saros, just because he's a goalie that at every level he had played, um, he had excelled, whether it was overseas or whether it was in the AHL or whether it was in his short stints in the NHL. Um, he was a guy that um, I had pegged early in the season. I think I even talked about him on a podcast with you before the season started. Yeah, yeah we did. Uh, yeah, that he could eventually take over from Rene. And I mean, you know, despite those couple bumps in the road lately, he still put up exceptional numbers. Um, so it'd probably be him. I guess Matt Murray technically still qualifies as a rookie. Um, so given his season, you know, save percentage over 920, um, even though he's, you know, been injured a little bit and he started less than half of the Pittsburgh games, he's still on pace for over 30 wins. Um, so, you know, if you can put up a save percentage over 920 and have 30 wins, uh, as a rookie goalie in the NHL, you're doing a, you're doing a pretty good job. So, you know, it's Matt Murray by default, but I don't, you know, he's technically considered a rookie, but considering he, he was already a starter for a Stanley Cup champion team, um, I don't, you know, in my heart, I don't consider him a rookie. So uh, if I had to give it to a guy that, that I think um, that I consider um, a, a true genuine rookie, it'd be UC Saros. Recently, the Red Wings called up Jared Corot. Uh, as their uh, goalie, I, you know, they had some woes with uh, Howard and Mrazek. Uh, is this kid worth a look in, in some deeper leagues? I mean, just any goalie, that's the thing, is that any goalie that's getting starts 
if you're in a deep enough league, he needs to be owned, right? So if you know if you're in a ten team league and you only start one or two goalies, maybe you only roster three of them, he probably doesn't need to be there. Um, but you know the DSE leagues are typically a lot deeper. Um, and if you look at his AHL numbers over the last few years, they've been pretty good. The, the concern, obviously, is that it's Detroit, right? Detroit's you know not a playoff team this year. They, you know their their uh, underlying numbers aren't very good. Um, so you worry about, you know, is that team going to be good enough defensively in front of him to make him look good? So I, I, I do think there is upside here just because, um, a goalie with his track record in the AHL, um, I won't, I won't say it necessarily always translate to NHL success. That's, you know, really not how it works. Um, but it, it's a good indicator of future NHL success. Um, so a goalie that has three straight seasons of 920 plus, um, save percentage in the AHL, that's a, you know, that's a good indicator for you that he could do something at the NHL level. I just worry about the team in front of him. You know, we've seen, you know, once in a while, you know, you talked about Varlamov a couple of years ago, having that amazing season for Colorado. Um, he did that behind a pretty bad defensive team. And I mean, that happens from time to time, but usually, um, goalies behind bad defensive teams are going to look bad just because of the quality of the shots that the team in front of them gives up. And that's what I worry about with Perot. Maybe we'll see a little bit more of him uh, next season with the Wings. But for now, uh, your pick is going to be UC Saros of Nashville for your goalie uh, rookie candidate. Yeah, it is. I, like I said, Murray's technically still a rookie, so he's probably the obvious choice, but I don't really consider him one, so I'm definitely going Saros. We'll do 1A, 1B. How's that? All right, we can do that. <laughs> Moving on to the defense, uh, the blue line. I like a couple guys on this list, and mainly because I snagged one of them for nothing, literally nothing last year, uh, plucked them off the waiver wire. Uh, I mean, the top young defenseman this year, obviously, has been Zach Wierenski of Columbus. What is your outlook on, on Zach's first half? He's kind of fell off a little bit. Uh, you know, he was off to a hot start has fallen off a little bit. Um, do you see him picking the pace back up? Well, I mean, a lot of it's going to end up um, depending on on his team, right? Because they do have the number one power play in the league, um, and he was running that top power play unit uh, by himself with four forwards. And that's where, you know, over half his points have come on the power play. Um, you know, it's not a bad thing. I mean, you, you know, you take the points where you can get them, and, and leagues give bonuses for power play points. So obviously, that you know, that's really good. Um, but they've kind of switched up their power play a little bit recently. They took Cam Atkinson off the top unit and put Seth Jones there instead. And Seth Jones is kind of running the top of the power play with Wierenski more in a shooting role, which I actually don't think it's a bad thing because, you know, we've seen Wierenski unleash his shot uh, from time to time. He has a very good shot for a player that young. Um, so I think putting him in a shooting role, it might give him more power play goals, uh, but it might hurt his overall power play um, total. You know what I mean? Because he's not necessarily running that top power play unit anymore. It's Seth Jones running it. Um, so I don't know if he'll get back to the level that he was at before, um, you know, before Christmas pretty much. Um, but he's still going to crack 40 points this year. And you, you crack 40 points as a teenage defenseman in the NHL. That's something really, really special. Um, and it, it's kind of a testament just how much of a surprise that, that the Blue Jackets are because, you know, Wierenski was always a highly touted prospect, but nobody in the world saw anything close to this coming um, in his rookie season. So um, I don't think he gets back to the level that he was 
but he'll he'll still be very good. Like he'll put up 15 points here or something um, over the final 30 or so games, um, and he'll cruise past that 40 point mark. And that's just a fan, fantastic season for him. Now we have to pair him with someone, and uh, you know, there's a couple names there. Provorov being one of them. Zaitsev from Toronto. Uh, Anthony D'Angelo. One name that a lot of people are not talking about right now is Stephen Johns in Dallas, uh, having himself a nice season at only 24 years old, helping out the blue line uh, in Dallas. Which one of these guys would you pair uh, with Warinsky on the defense? And you know what? I do like Stephen Johns, and it's weird. He was kind of almost like a throw-in in the Patrick Sharp trade when Sharp was traded from Chicago to Dallas um, because Chicago's cap crunch. He was almost like a throw-in, and now he's probably their, their best defenseman in, in real life. Um, but one defenseman that's really, really caught my eye this year um, as a rookie is Michael Matheson in Florida. Um, you know, you watch their games – um, Eric Ekblad, like, you know, they put him in an offensive role and he's taking a lot of shots, but he's not necessarily an offensive defenseman. Um, you watch Matheson. He looks to create with the puck. He doesn't, you know, just get the puck and chip it out or get the puck and look for a forward um, right next to him just so he can get rid of the puck. He's looking all the time to create something. And it's, whether it's skating the puck out of his own zone and into the, into the offensive zone to, to set up an attack, or whether it's getting into a position where you can shoot. Um, Matheson's been incredibly impressive so far this year. And, it, you know, the tough thing for him is that he's playing behind Keith Yandel and Ekblad, right? So he's never going to get um, that prime opportunity. But they have moved him up to the, the second power play unit recently um, before they are running um, Yandel on one power play unit and Ekblad on the other. Um, now they're using Yandel in the top unit and then Ekblad Matheson on the second one. So now he's starting to get some power play time as well as the coaches kind of realize um, just how good he is. I don't, you know, he won't have a huge second half of the season. Um, Florida is just way too decimated by injuries right now that they're, you know, they don't even look like they're going to make the playoffs. So, um, you know, I'm not expecting a big second half from him um, this year. Um, but that's uh, definitely a guy that's been super impressive to me this season. Um, incredibly offensive minded, very gifted with the puck. And it's somebody that people should keep in mind when dynasties. Um, roll around next year because he should definitely be on your roster. We're talking with Michael Clifford of Project Roto. Uh, Michael, a very seasoned NHL fantasy hockey veteran. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Slim Cliffy. We're going over our prospect, uh, you know, all first half team, and uh, we're getting some notes on uh, who to watch out for here in the second half coming up after the All Star break. Mike, I want to move into the wingers, and then we'll get into center uh, for the prospects. Obviously, Patrick Lyonet is uh, leading the charge. The, uh, the people that follow Lyonet, uh, I mean, there's there's a handful of guys that were drafted. Obviously, no one really compares to the production that he's put up right now. Uh, you have a couple guys, right? Ryan Hartman, for example, he's also dual eligibility. Um, you have uh, Jimmy VC, who was highly touted. Matthew Kachuk, highly touted. Which one of these guys is second to line A in, at the left wing position? Um, you know, obviously it's such a treat to watch line A's, but uh, I'm glad that you uh, said to skip over him because he's kind of automatic. Um, to me, it's Travis connecting, honestly. Um, you know, it, Anthony Mantha is, a, is another guy that we should probably um, put into consideration here. He's an older rookie. 
Uh, but he's looked great for Detroit. He seems to be kind of falling out of favor with the with the coaching staff. I like I don't know what's going on there. They've they've averaged um, 11 minutes on him over the last two games for him, and I have no idea why. He's probably one of their top three or four offensive players. Um, he's taken a while to develop, but you know he's starting to use his size and his reach um, to his advantage to be able to get shots off in advantageous positions. So Mantha's a guy that's looked really good, but I've been just super impressed with Travis Konechny. Um, I know he had a stretch there where um, he kind of uh, didn't really produce much. Um, you know, I think he managed a few assists, but he went something like 19 or 20 games without a goal. Um, and, you know, you're going to get stretches like that. Uh, hockey is a streaky game for anybody, um, let alone a rookie. Um, so you're going to get those stretches where, where players, you know, go, uh, you know, maybe three, four, five weeks without a goal. I mean, we saw David Pasternak. Um, score yesterday for Boston for the first time in, in nearly six weeks. Um, and he's leading the Bruins in goals. That's just kind of the way um, hockey is. Um, but Travis Konechny, like he looks, he's one of those players that not only can he go into the corner and go dig for the puck, but when the puck gets loose and gets to a teammate, he doesn't, you know, just kind of just drive to the net and just stand there. He's, he's more cerebral about where he positions himself on the ice. And he looks to get himself open. He's very good in tight quarters. Um, you know, his shot's fine, so there's no issues there. I think this is a guy that uh, the Flyers are incredibly happy with. Um, and if I had him in a dynasty league, I'd be incredibly happy too because he looks a lot better than um, people thought he would this early in his career. Now, he, you know, he's a first-round pick. Um, you know, it's not like this is coming out of nowhere. But I don't think people really anticipated him having the impact that he has so far in his rookie season. Uh, you talked about Konechny. He's got uh, 21 points on the season uh, Matthew Kajuk, nine goals, 22 assists this year uh, already. Uh, what kind of impact have you seen from Matthew Kachuk, uh have on the Calgary Flames this year? Well, I mean, the first thing that sticks out, obviously, is just he he seems to be, uh, I don't want to say a dirty player, but he certainly plays right on that edge. Um, we saw there's a game in Toronto um, not long ago. He slew-footed somebody twice in the same game. Um, that's, you know, it's an incredibly dirty hockey play. Um, the game last night in Montreal, um, he was kind of up to those antics again. So uh, I think that's one thing that he's brought to the flames is that, um, he plays with that edge and sometimes he goes over that edge. Um, and you know, he'll have to learn his lesson eventually. Um, but he brings, um, a, a really good amount of skill to that line, that line that he's on with, Michael Backlund and Michael Pro League is far and away Calgary's best line, and it has been all season. Um, they're, they're one of the best lines in the league, honestly, if, if you look at their underlying numbers. Not necessarily just flat-out goal scoring, but the way that they can defend, um, the way that they can drive the play as a trio, they've just been phenomenal. And Kachuk's been a big part of that because, um, you know, Backlund and Pro League have always been guys that have been able to drive the play but haven't necessarily put up huge point totals. Um, and Kachuk's kind of helped bring that offensive element to that line. So they really kind of complement each other nicely as a, um, as a trio. And I think, um, you know, obviously Backlund for Leak are helping um, Kachuk having a good season, but I think Kachuk's also helping those to um, put up some offensive numbers that we haven't really seen too often from them before. All right, so for left wing, we're going to go with Patrick Laine and uh, Anthony Mantha. Yeah, I like Mantha a lot. Um, he's finally taken he's taken some time to really hit his stride, but he seems to get there once the or once the Detroit coaches um, figure out that he's one of their top offensive players. I think he's really going to take off. 
We're going to move over to right wing. Aho, obviously having a, a really nice year for Carolina. Uh, I don't know where he fits on that team long term uh, because they just don't seem to have any kind of uh, identity. But at 12 goals, 14 assists, he's having a really nice first season uh, with the Hurricanes. Yeah, he is. And um, if you know, I know some people out there might not watch World Juniors, but um, at last year's World Juniors, the top line that Finland had was um, Patrick Lyonne, um, Jesse Puglia-Yarby, um, and Sebastian Ajo. And in my memory, that was, you know, outside of the 2005 World Juniors when there's the NHL lockout, so all the stud rookies went and played. That's when they had Crosby and Getzlaff and Perry and Carter and all those guys. Outside of that tournament, that line of Ajo, Julio Yarvi, and Line was the best line I've ever seen play at the World Juniors. Um, now, I know that probably only stretches back to the late 90s because, um, you know, I, I don't really remember much um, from the World Juniors from the first 10 years um, that I watched them. Uh, but it, it kind of gave Carolina fans hope that he would bring that level of offense to the team. He's certainly done that so far this year. Carolina was a team that um, has really struggled to score over the last few seasons. Um, and that's kind of turned itself around um, this year. Victor Rask is having a nice season. Uh, so is Jeff Skinner. Um, Lee Stemniak's been a decent addition for them. Um, Tuvo Teravainen um, has fit in well with the team. So that offense is really starting to pull itself together. And Ajo's been a big part of that. Um, again, like I said, I don't know where he fits in exactly with the team. Are they going to have him as a center? Um, I doubt it. They're probably going to have him as a winger. Um, so where does he fit as a winger? Is he going to eventually play with, with Rask and Skinner? Um, is he going to play on this, a second line, maybe in a more of a shutdown role? I don't know. Um, but he's certainly been, I, I think, everything that Carolina could have hoped for more in the season. We have to pair him with someone here. So there's a couple guys. I'll just throw a couple names at, at you. Mitch Marner, obviously uh, having a great season with Toronto. William Nylander, again, with Toronto. Uh, and Ryan Hartman, uh, which one of those three guys, or is there somebody else that we're not talking about right now? Uh, no, for me, it's Marner. And honestly, it's not even that close. Um, you know, he was a guy that was picked by Toronto a couple years ago. Um, and he was picked behind Dylan Strom. Um, Arizona picked Strom. Um, and then Marner fell into, into Toronto's lap. Um, you watch him play. And I don't say this lightly. The player that I can most compare him with right now in the NHL is Patrick Kane. And I say that in, in like I said, not lightly, but with 100% um, honesty. Um, he's a smaller guy, but he can use his edges incredibly well. Great stick handler, great vision, great hand-eye. Like, he has that complete scoring package that you want in a top-line winger. Um, and I don't think that the Leafs would ever had, would have ever thought that he'd be this type of player this early on um, in his career. He's on pace for 20 goals as a rookie. He's on pace for over 60 points as a rookie, which is just phenomenal. Um, you know, Marner's just been so impressive to me this year that um, I, I can't give it to anyone else. Like I said, he honestly reminds me of a younger Patrick Kane. Not saying that he'll get to that, you know, 100-plus point level. But just his skill set and the way he moves around the ice, that's exactly who he reminds me of. Toronto so strong right now, uh, up the middle. And, and uh, obviously, Marner, you've got Austin Matthews, you've got Nylander, and you've got Zach Hyman with uh, 21 points, just, you know, maybe he's a third or fourth line guy. Um, this Toronto team 
is is going to be a force to be reckoned with in the next two three years. Uh, once these guys build a little more confidence and get up to speed, I mean, look out! Is they need a goalie like now? So I feel like if they get a long term steady goalie and a guy with a lot of upside or even a, a solid veteran um, with some really good postseason numbers, this is going to be a team uh, to be to be reckoned with. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they signed Anderson to that five-year deal, so I think they definitely see him as their goalie for at least the near future. Um, but, uh, like, I'd, I'd have to look. I don't think they really have a ton um, in the pipeline for goaltending. Like, you know, um, we mentioned Garrett Sparks. They had um, Jonas Enroth um, as a backup, and he's, you know, now in Anaheim, I believe. Um, they just they don't have much goaltending depth besides Anderson. So I think Anderson's definitely going to be their goalie in the short term, but you're right. I, I think they do need to get um, a goalie in that pipeline. Maybe it'll be Antoine Bebo. Um, he's, you know, looked good at times um, in the AHL. I don't know how consistent he is. I'm sure there are Leaf fans out there that can tell me that. Um, so maybe he's the goalie of the future, but I, I don't see that potential number one stud in their system right now. So for now it's, it's gotta be Anderson or bust for them. Yeah. I'm not afraid of Freddie Anderson. So, um, yeah, but obviously Austin Matthews is the center candidate, uh, for this all rookie team, uh, mid season. Oh yeah. There's no question. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure, uh, we're going to move in to the big boys now and we're going to go right to the defensive position. Our midseason defenseman MVPs for fantasy hockey. I mean, you can really go a lot of ways here, uh, but there's one clear-cut defenseman at the top of the list right now, uh, and that's Brent Burns of San Jose. 51 points on the year, 21 goals, 30 assists. I mean, he's a winger, he's a defenseman, so it does help you. He does pinch, he does play a lot of uh, power play, and he's so, I mean... I know he's he's declared a defenseman for fantasy hockey, and that's great because of the production you get out of him. Does it tick you off a little bit that he's a winger with defenseman eligibility if you're playing against him? Um, I mean, it, it it all depends on on what the roster is, right? Like, if somebody has has Brent Burns, um, and then you know their fourth defenseman is somebody like Marchi or Gano or something like that, then yeah, it sucks. Cause, um, or fifth defenseman or whatever because then they can move Burns up into the wing position, have him be one of the elite players, and then move a very good defenseman in right behind him. But um, unless they have really, really good defensive depth, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, you know, if, if you are if you have Brent Burns, and then all of a sudden um, you move him up to the wing and, and take his spot um, as a defenseman, you move in like, you know, Dennis Seidenberg or Brady Shea or something like that, um, you know, then I don't really care. Um, so it, it all depends how, um, what the roster is of the person that owns them, I guess. If we had to pair him with somebody right now, obviously you've got the likes of Eric Carlson, Victor Hedman having a great year, Justin Schultz, Kevin Shattenkirk, uh, Dustin Bufflin still in the conversation. I think he is, but again, it, it goes back to what I was talking about, um, off the top is Winnipeg's just been kind of a disappointing team. And obviously Bufflin's part of that. Um, you know, he's still on pace for five fine season, you, you know, he'll get up to 45 to 50 points, but, um, we're used to him pushing over 15 goals. Um, and unless he has a big jump, um, in his goal, his goal production, you know, he might not reach that this year. And that's kind of why people draft him. They don't draft him for, 
the 35 assists, they draft him because he can get um, 15 to 20 goals. What do you make of Shea Weber being uh, not in the top three defenseman conversation right now? Um, you know, I struggle with this because there, there's evidence on both sides for Weber. There's evidence that um, obviously he's a very physical guy, so he can clear out the front of the net. So there's, there is evidence that he can do a good job of limiting guys, you know, grabbing rebounds and stuff in front of the net. But then there's also evidence that um, the team doesn't do so well um, shots-wise um, when he's on the ice. So um, I kind of struggle with that. Obviously, a big part of his production this year um, has been on the power play. He has nine power. He has eleven goals in the year. Nine of them have come on the power play. So he hasn't really done a whole lot of five on five. But it's kind of the case with Wierenski, right? It's like it doesn't really matter where the goals come from as long as they come. You know, if, if Weber scores seventeen goals this year and fourteen of them come on the power play, I don't really care. I'd rather have those seventeen goals than have him be a good five on five scorer. Um, you know, I, I I don't see him as a top three defenseman, both in real life and in fantasy. Um, we'll definitely see um, some of his numbers tail off here. Um, I, can, I can't see him putting up uh, over 20 goals um, just because that power that power play production is just so insanely high that unless that five-on-five production really kicks in, I think he's going to see um, kind of a step back in production here in the second half of the season. How do you feel about some of these guys who all they do is block shots and hit people like Rasmus Ristolainen? Well, I mean, you know, Ristolainen's not – he's not scoring a lot this year, but he has um, as many assists as Dustin Bufflin does, and he has more assists than Kevin Chattenberg. So it's not – you know, and again, that's another guy where a lot of his production comes on the power play, right? Um, you know, seven, two-thirds of his points have come on the power play, I believe. So um, I – you know, that's another guy that kind of – in real hockey kind of splits the hockey community. Um, some people think he's, you know, very good. Some people think he's not very good. Um, kind of depends on, on what you use to evaluate a player. Um, he, you know, you think about a guy just blocking shots and hitting people. The guy that immediately comes to mind, obviously, is Racco Brutus from Philadelphia. Um, this is a guy that you can probably only really rely on for 20 points a season. But those block shots and especially those hits are just monster totals. Um, so that's where, you know, you have to tell people one thing about fantasy hockey. It's that you always have to be aware about what the scoring is in your league. Because in a standard Roto league, um, Gudis doesn't really carry a ton of value. I mean, he racks up a lot of penalty minutes. So, um, you know, um, if you can get a good plus minus out of him somehow um, and get, you know, 150 penalty minutes from him, you can have value. Um, but he won't really do a whole lot other than that. But in a league like we use here on DSE, where you do have those hits, where you do have those block shots, you have those real-time stats, um, he can be, um, you know, a valuable player. So, you know, that's another thing people always have to keep in mind is that a player that's not valuable in one league doesn't mean he's not valuable in a, in a league with different scoring settings. Again, we're talking with Michael Clifford of ProjectRoto.com. Mike, if you have to pair Brent Burns with someone right now, who's it going to be? I mean, it still has to be Eric Carlson for me. Um, to me, those guys are 1A and 1B when it comes to defensemen in the NHL, both in real life and in fantasy. Um, I know Carlson's not, you know, really technically the number two defenseman. Um, by most formats, um, you probably see Shea Weber up there in, in almost every type of league, including um, here on Dynasty Sports. Um, but for me, Carlson is, he is that engine um, 
for that Ottawa team. They don't score without him. You know what I mean? He runs the top power play unit. He's the guy. You look at their defense core. I mean, they don't have any puck movers. You know, maybe Weidman is passable um, as a puck mover. Other than that, um, you know, Mark McCaw can't. Cody Ceci can't. Dion Phaneuf, he doesn't even pass the puck. He just snaps the shots at players' ankles. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So... Eric Carlson's just so important to Ottawa that, you know, even though he's kind of having a quote-unquote off-season for him, you know, he's only on pace for like 70 points, I guess, which is an off-season. Um, for me, it's still him just because he's so um, incredibly talented at what he does that if he ever, ever got himself on a high-scoring team, it'd just be, you know, just be un- otherworldly to watch because right now he's he's carrying that team Um and he has been for a few years now. Yeah, he's the one piece that I've been trying to acquire uh, in our league for the last three years now. And uh, someone's not trading him to me just because they know I want him. That's the that's the point I'm at now with Eric Carlson. So uh, I've been pursuing him for quite a long time and uh, hasn't uh, paid off yet. But we're going to move on to the goalies. And uh, what a year it's been for a couple of these guys. Uh, most notably, Sergei Bobrovsky coming back from injury, just kind of being the stud uh, that he was in 2015. Um, what do you make of the goalie position right now? There's a handful of guys we can talk about. Obviously, you've got your, you know, your Braden Holpies and your Carey Price is still doing, uh, you know, plenty of work and, and putting up numbers. But having Bob back is making all the difference in the world uh, for Columbus right now. Yeah, that was that's such a huge part of Columbus's success this year. Obviously, the power play's been good. They've been getting um, some depth scoring from guys, you know, guys you'd never even think of, like William Carlson and Lucas Sedlak. I mean, Sam Gagne's having a phenomenal season, even though a lot of his production's on the power play. But it's definitely been Bobrovsky, and I'm I'm actually glad he's having a good season because he was a guy I wrote about um, not at at length, but a few times over the summer over at DauberHockey.com. Um, I was saying I thought Columbus would be better this year. I had them close to a playoff team. I obviously had had them nowhere close to, you know, leading the Eastern Conference or close to leading the Eastern Conference. So, you know, I'm not going to take that much credit. But um, over his first three seasons with Columbus, his save percentage was like 923 or 924 or something like that. Like it was in the mid-920s. Um, and then he just had one bad year last year. I mean, the whole team looked abysmal last year. You know, when you're a lottery team, your goaltender's probably not going to look very good. Um, so he was the guy that I was buying in on this year. Now, I didn't get him in our league because um, we only started one goalie, and I took Carey Price in the first round. So it didn't really make sense for me um, to get another goalie um, anytime soon. So I missed out on it. But I took him in a lot of other leagues, and obviously he's just been fantastic. I mean, a 9.30 save percentage. Um, you can't really ask for much more than that from your goalie. And it's, it's really nice to see because this was a former Vesna winner who had a few good seasons and then had one bad year, and it uh, hopefully it's a reminder to fantasy hockey owners out there that goaltending can be such a volatile position that you have a lot of evidence of a goalie being good and then all of a sudden he's bad for you know one half season or something like that don't give up on him because um once you have enough data to support your theory that that a, a goaltender is good or elite um you should probably stick with that because um goaltending especially when it comes to, you know, deciphering the numbers is, is almost all about sample size. Um, and he had a big enough one to kind of prove himself, and I'm glad that he's, he's bounced back nicely this year. As good as Bob has been, uh, Devin Dubnik has been just 
unworldly uh, right now with Minnesota. Can you explain the, the resurgence here? I mean, is it the, the, the same Dubnik as we had in 2014? Yeah, I think a big part of it is um, is, is the team in front of them. The, the Minnesota is an excellent – you know, I don't want to take anything away from Dubnik. You know, you don't put up um, a safe percentage over 930 and be a bad goal. That's just not the way it works in the NHL. Um, so obviously he personally is having a fantastic season, but you have to lend some credit to the team in front of him. I mean, Minnesota is a very good defensive team. They're very good at limiting, um, shots right in front of them, shots in the low to mid slot. Um, you know, those ones that tend to have higher shooting percentages for, for players. Um, so he's kind of, you know, he still has to stop his fair share. Um, but in that sense, um, Minnesota is one of the better defensive teams in the NHL. Um, they're good on the penalty kill as well, which is something that can always sink a goaltender save percentage. If your team has a bad penalty kill, they're always going to look bad, and that's always going to hurt his overall numbers. Um, so he's had um, a good season himself combined with the team um, being very good defensively in front of him, and the result of that are the fantastic numbers that we've seen. And, um, you know, he right, right about now, I don't want to see he's running away with um, the top goalie of the season because um, Sergey Bobrovsky is right behind him, and if Carey Price kind of figures it out um, and kicks the shot snide here, he could be as well. But it certainly looks like Devin Dubnik's going to be the top goalie on the season. This is the Dynasty Sports podcast. We're talking with Michael Clifford of Project Roto. Uh, Mike, is there a reason why we shouldn't be talking about Tuka Rask right now, uh, having the, the type of first half he's had? You know, it, it's it's a tough thing um, to, to, you know, Rask has been tough to figure out this year because he had a great first, you know, two and a half months, two to two and a half months. And then the last, you know, few weeks or so, um, not so good. And you wonder, is it Rask? Uh, is it Boston? Because Boston's a pretty good defensive team. But then again, they have a, you know, what should be a weak defense core, um, you know, when Adam McQuay is pretty much playing on your second pair, you know things aren't going well. Um, so how much of it, of it is on Rask? Uh, I don't really know. Um, but he's having a fantastic season. Um, I think overall, uh, the numbers, have, like I said, have slid lately, but I think it's more of just a blip more than a long-term trend. Um, he's a guy that's on pace for, you know, 35 wins and he's probably going to have a 920 save percentage and he's probably going to have a goals against, um, under like two, three or something like that. So I think, um, that's another goalie where you kind of have to, um, keep in mind that one sample of the goalie being bad when you have a lot of, of, of evidence that he's actually a good goaltender, um, that he's probably going to come, um, come and bounce back. I mean, Rask had four straight seasons of a safe percentage over 920. Um, and then last year he was league average. I mean, and that was a bad season for him. He was just league average. And then, of course, his ADP just tanked. And then this year, of course, now he's back to almost 920. So um, I think that's another case, kind of like with Bobrovsky, is that when you have enough evidence that a goalie's good, you kind of have to go with your gut and just or go with the numbers and just say that, you know, this goalie's good and he's going to bounce back. But, you know, I thought I thought Boston as a team would be a lot worse than they are um, with the underlying numbers. So that's why I wasn't high on Rast this year. Um, I thought his, goal, his goals against average would really suffer, but that definitely has been the case. Boston's actually been a really good defensive team most of the season. I'm going to get your, uh, your top two here in a second, but before I get there, uh, can you explain the fall-off by Corey Crawford and uh, Lundqvist here? In 2016-17 season? Well, I think Crawford, one thing that's hurt him um, 
is the team in front of them. Uh, if you look at their underlying numbers as a whole, they don't look very bad. But if you dig in a little bit deeper, um, they're kind of like the opposite of Minnesota, where Minnesota doesn't give up a lot of shots in the low to mid slot. Chicago actually does. And a goaltender can only save so many of those. And those are the prime areas to score. You know, those are where players shoot 13, 14, 15%, um, which is obviously going to have a huge negative impact um, on your save percentage. Um, in Chicago, for the first two months of the season, didn't have a very good, you know, they had like a bottom five penalty kill now. Um, things have turned around here over the last four or five weeks for, for them on uh, on the PK. So that's kind of helped profit a little bit. But, uh, you know, I worry about, that team kind of declining, you know, it, I don't, Brent Seabrook, I don't know if he's that number two defenseman anymore. Um, you know, Duncan Key still looks fine, but they don't really have a lot of depth behind that. Nicholas Chalmerson um, doesn't look like the guy that he was when the team was going on cup runs. Um, you know, they're using AJ and Kent. It's just, I, I don't know that they have the defensive depth to really um, limit the shots in the danger areas to where it can make Crawford look good. Um, so that's one thing I worry about. With Lundqvist, of course, it's just age. Um, you wonder if every goalie falls off eventually. I mean, every player falls off eventually with age. That's just kind of the way it goes. But every goalie falls off. Don't tell, um, don't tell Yarmir Yager that. I know, right? But, you know, exceptions to every rule. Of I course. actually just learned today, Yarmir Yager is older than Peter Forsberg. And how long has Forsberg been retired for? Like five years or six years or something like that? Yeah. Uh, it's just ridiculous. Anyways, um, with Lundqvist, you just worry about um, age. He's in his mid-30s now. I mean, some goalies play fine into their late 30s. You look at guys like Roberto Luongo, um, who's still playing well. Um, Tim Thomas, when he was in the NHL, he almost kind of peaked in his mid to late 30s. Um, so you got, you know, all guys are different, but typically goalies really trail off um, in their early 30s, and by the time they hit the mid-30s, um, they just kind of crater. Um, so is, but is, it's a, again, this is the thing that we just talked about with Raskin Bobrovsky. Is this a blip? Um, for Lundqvist, where he's, you know, just had a bad half season and that's all it is after, you know, pretty much a decade of dominance? Um, or is this the start of a trend? You know, with Raskin Bobrovsky, I feel fine saying it's just kind of a blip. Those guys are in their mid to late 20s. Um, with Lundqvist being 34, you know, he'll be 35 for next season. Um, it's a fair question to ask whether he's starting to decline. And, it, you know, just by my eye test, and I'm not a goaltending coach, you know, I'm not a goaltending analyst or anything, but he looks... I don't want to say nervous in net, but it almost seems like he's scared of making mistakes. Like he's always overthinking. Like he was a guy who, when he was at the top of his game, he played fairly deep in his net, but it's because that's just the way that he played naturally. Um, he looked calm in net. He'd always, you know, he'd be able to cut down the angles properly when he had to. Um, now it just seems like he's almost panicking anytime there's any kind of sustained pressure. And that's something I don't really remember seeing from Lundqvist over the years. All right. Give me your top two. Obviously, Devin Dubnik um, and Sergey Bobrovsky for me okay. um, are the top. Are the top two? I mean, especially when you consider that you didn't really have to spend any significant draft capital in them. I mean, Bobrovsky was going off what, like sometimes, sometimes between the fifteenth and twentieth goalie, maybe even later. Um, and Devin Dubnik wasn't being drafted in the top five. Um, so when you consider the draft capital um, that you had to uh, spend on them. Um, and what they've done so far this season. I don't know how you get away from Dubnik and Bobrovsky. Now we can talk about Sidney Crosby a little bit. Uh, coming in, we've got 28 goals, 26 assists. Some of the guys that we're going to talk about here uh, as we as we close out our 
2016-17 all first half team. Uh, you've got likes of Ryan Kessler, Jeff Carter. You've got obviously uh, John Tavares, Claude Giroux. Which of these guys is really the best of this first half? I mean, you know, again, considering draft capital, Ryan Kessler is a guy that um, you have to give some props to. Um, I was, you know, definitely poo-pooing him all summer um, on Dauber hockey. I didn't think he'd do anything this year. I, I, I touted him as a guy that if at the end of your draft you want to grab him and just put 40 points on your bench or something like that, um, and that's fine. And oddly enough, um, if he gets a point tonight, he'll be at 40 points on the season already. We're not even in February. So that's kind of where I was with Brian Kessler. Uh, but for me, it's Sidney Crosby. It has to be. Because you remember the start of the season, he was injured. And everybody was just thinking to themselves, like, oh, man, like, is this the concussion problem all over again? Remember, he missed the better part of two seasons with concussions and neck issues. And it seems like ever since then, we, we're, we've almost been waiting for – um, something bad to happen to him. So it seemed like, like you know, is is this going to be the beginning of the end of his career? Maybe something like Lindros, um, where, you know, one more concussion just kind of puts it over and he's never the same again. And then he comes back and he does this. Um, you know, he's on his highest goal per game pace um, in seven years. Um, he's on pace. Um, if he were to play 82 games this year, he'd crack 100 points. Um, he'd have 50 goals and 50 assists. Like, you just... Um, you just go through the numbers. It's just absolutely mind-boggling what he's doing, and you remember who he's doing it with. Um, it's not like, you know, obviously they have a, an exceptional power play unit, and that's been a big part of it. But it's not like he's in Dallas um, playing with Jamie Benn on his wing. It's not like he's in Chicago playing with Patrick Kane on his wing. It's not like he's in San Jose playing with Joe Pavelski on his wing. For the last month or so, he's been playing with Connor Sheary and Brian Rust. You know what I mean? Like, Connor Sheary is undrafted, and Brian Russ was an afterthought for this organization, maybe a depth player. And then all of a sudden, um, Sheary's got, like, 37 or 36 points or something like that. Brian Russ is scoring a point every two games. And Sidney Crosby is is on a 50-goal per 82-game pace. Like, it's just absolutely absurd what he's doing this year. I know Connor McDavid is special, and Austin Matthews has had a great year. Um, and Brent Burns, you know, he's on pace for 80. Five point, 35 goals and 85 points, whatever it is. But what what we're seeing from Crosby this year, at least so far this year, through the first half of the season, is is it's beyond special. He's doing this with guys that were depth pieces at the AHL level. And to be doing that with the players that he's playing with, and it's not to disparage Shiri and Russ. You know, Shiri was always kind of overlooked because of his size. Um, and Brian Ross was always thought of, you know, maybe in a bottom six role. So it's not like, you know, these guys are are complete bombs. But he's not doing this with elite players um, at even strength. He's doing this with guys um, that, you know, if they weren't playing with Sidney Crosby, might be in the AHL or on the third and fourth line of some NHL team somewhere. So for me, it's not even close. When you consider who he's playing with, when you consider the injury that he's come back from and the insane goal-scoring pace that he's on, to me, it's hands down Sidney Crosby this year. I agree 100%. Uh, on the left wing, we've got a couple candidates that uh, obviously have uh, played their asses off this first half. And you can't talk about left wing and not talk about Alex Ovechkin. Um, and I certainly don't want to overlook him or slight him in any way uh, because he's amazing and we all know that. But 
Ryan O'Reilly, uh, what he's been able to do for Buffalo, now that Jack Eichel is healthy, um, this team in Buffalo has, you know, as much star power um, and youth as Toronto does, in my opinion. And I, I really enjoy turning on the TV and, oh, Buffalo's on? All right, I'll watch that. You know, there's not a lot of teams that I'll, that I'll do that for, aside from the Bruins. Um, but when I see the when I see that the Sabers are on, I actually am like, wow, okay, I could get into this team. I, I can buy into what's going on in Buffalo right now. Um, is Ryan O'Reilly our first, you know, our first half MVP at left wing? I mean, he certainly has to be considered as such, and it's one of those situations, right, where the dual eligibility helps. Um, you know, because he's he's listed listed as a left winger, but he's a center, and he takes a ton of faceoffs. Um, so that's another thing to keep in mind. You know, I brought up scoring earlier. Um, if you look at some of the most productive guys in BSE leagues, and it, and it happens a lot in any leagues that use face-off wins, um, the guys that win face-offs tend to be insanely valuable. And, you know, I have another league with guys from the score.com um, that I'm playing in, and he has a center and left wing eligibility, and I have him as a left winger. And I win face-offs pretty much every week because I can run out two centers plus O'Reilly on the left wing winning, winning all those face-offs. But, um, you know, he certainly appears to have really good chemistry with Kyle with Pozo. Um, he's a great, you know, you call him a mentor, and it's easy to forget he's only 25 years old, right? He's, it seems like he's been around forever. I um, mean, he's still kind of in his peak as an NHL player. Um, and he's that perfect insular um, center for Jack Eichel, right? So you can put O'Reilly out for 20 minutes a game against the other team's top line, and then you can let Eichel flourish in the depth matchups. And that's working real well um, for Buffalo when both of them are in the lineup. Um, I think when you when you also talk about left-wingers, I think you do have to bring up Max Pacioretty. Um, you know, this is a guy that got off to a very, very, very slow start this year. And people were wondering, you know, um, you know there had been stuff in the offseason um, brought up about Patretti with Michelle Terrier and Terrier apparently bad-mouthing him um, in private. And, you know, is he a good captain? And is he the scorer that everybody thinks he is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot of concerns starting the season. Um, and he only had five goals going into December. And so there's a lot of concern, you know, um, is the pressure getting to him? Does Terry really not like him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and since December 1st, he has 16 goals. So we kind of just kind of just told everybody back off. I'm still one of the elite goal scorers. I'm going to put up 30 goals again this year for, I think it's the fifth consecutive 82-game season. Um, so I think, um, you know, as good as O'Reilly has been, I think a lot of his value has been derived from face-off. So when I look for a guy that's been a scoring winger, um, not named Alex Ovechkin, I think Mac Pacioretty definitely deserves some consideration. And where do you put Jamie Ben? Well, the problem with Ben this year is I'm, I'm convinced he's not healthy. And we've, you know, he missed some, he missed some games here, um, over a couple weeks ago, uh, I think he missed like four games in a row or something like that. And earlier in the year, he wasn't practicing regularly with the team. Um, he had that core surgery over the summer, um, and he missed the World Cup of Hockey because of it. Um, he missed some time in training camp because of it. So I'm convinced he's not healthy. I mean, you look at his underlying numbers. You look at his um, things like uh, scoring chances. His individual scoring chances are way down, like they're half of what they had been over the last couple seasons. Um, which means he's he's not getting to the danger areas. And then you look at his average shot distances, um, which is how, you know how far he is away from the net when he takes a shot. Um, at five on five, it's way up. 
you know, way further from, uh, from the net than it has been over the last couple of years. Another good indication that he's not driving to the net, which is kind of his hallmark. Um, so that lends me to believe uh, that on top of missing some games without a clear cut injury um, provided by the team that he hasn't been healthy all year. So um, I think people are, you know, he's still going to have his games, um, you know, because that top power play playing with Sagan and Klingberg and Spets is, is still very potent. Um, he's still going to have some games where he's just so talented that he's going to put up, you know, two or three points or something like that. Um, but um, at least for this year, I don't think we're going to see him get to the level um, that he had been over the last couple of seasons. And I think the best that Dallas can just hope for now is is get healthy as a team. Um, it doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs. They just kind of have to get healthy as a team, regroup, and come back next season. We're talking with Michael Clifford of Project Roto. And uh, we're going over our 2016-17 first half awards, MVPs. We're just kind of talking about uh, the guys we think really stood out uh, for fantasy hockey this year. Uh, Mike, we're going to close out with the right wing position. Uh, Point-wise, the most natural uh, right wing guy is Patrick Kane right now, 48 points on the year. Uh, Behind him... At 46 is Cam Atkinson. Uh, now you throw in guys like Taylor Sagan. Uh, you've got Pavelski. Uh, I mean, which one of these guys does it for you? I mean, when you talk just general fantasy value, and again, um, it's kind of the situation with Ryan O'Reilly, where O'Reilly has that dual eligibility, but he takes a lot of faceoffs. You know, Joe Pavelski takes a lot of faceoffs for the Sharks. I know people generally consider um, Joe Thornton to be uh, the, the center of the top line, but Pavelski actually has more face-offs taken than Thornton does this year. Um, so that gives him a lot of value that a lot of players uh, um, on the wing don't, don't necessarily have. But uh, when you talk about just flat-out pardon me, flat out scoring, I don't know how you get away from Vladimir Tarasenko. I mean, obviously Kane has more points. Um, Cam Atkinson has as many points as he does. Um, but Tarasenko, you have to remember, is doing this. Um, you know, he's putting up a pace where he's going to get close. You know, he's going to have 35 to 40 goals. Um, you know, he'll have 75 points. And he's doing that with Yori Laterra as a center. Like, Yori Laterra is just not a second-line center in the NHL. I don't even know. I don't even think he's a third-line center in the NHL. Um so Tarasenko, you know, they appear to have good chemistry together. Um, I just don't think Latera is that good of a, of a centerman. And, and what Tarasenko is doing here, it's not to the level of what Crosby's doing in Pittsburgh, but you have to realize, you know, it's not like Tarasenko was, is going to put up 35 goals and, and 75 to 80 points um, with Joe Pavelski as a center. And he's not going to do that with Evgeny Malkin as his center. He's not doing that. Um, you know, even with a guy like a, a Vincent Trocek or even a Martin Hansen, he's doing it with Yori Lutera. So um, I think what Tarasenko is doing this year is incredibly impressive. Um, he's kind of gotten a little bit cold recently, but I think it's just just one of those uh, valleys that, that a player naturally goes through. And I think he'll bounce back and he could act, he could be a uh, point per game player this year. So for me, my, my right winger is Vladimir Tarasenko. That's... Uh... That's the best guy on my list. I, I, I enjoy watching him play thoroughly um, when I play NHL 17. Uh, that's my guy. And uh, he's amazing. He's, 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 he's the complete package. 
and uh, he's got a set of hands on him, boy. Uh, reminds me of Ovi when he came in, you know, and uh, he's he's elite. He's that elite talent. And, you know, maybe not the top point getter at the right wing position for fantasy, um, but one of the most coveted players, if not the most coveted player at the position for fantasy. Uh, Mike, I want to thank you for uh, joining us. And before I let you go, uh, you want to just tell everybody what you've been up to and uh, what you're working on? Yeah. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I'm over at projectroto.com. Um, I do uh, DFS subscriber work. So every day, um, or most days, you know, I don't send them out for two game slates or something like that. Um, but I send out a cheat sheet to our subscribers with a write up about, you know, injured players, stacks that we're using, um, you know, changing goaltender situations, lineups, and things like that. So do that over at Project Roto. Um, I have an article that comes out every Monday at RotoWire. Um, for FanDuel, I have one on Tuesday at the Fake Hockey um, that goes over uh, the previous week in Fantasy Hockey. Um, I have an article that comes out every Friday over on FanVice DFS that talks about um, players to use for Fantasy Draft. Um, and I do a DFS show every Tuesday for FanVice um, with Shane Bernard uh, and Homer Cleese, um, from both from FanVice, um, talking hockey. So um, you can find me at any of those spots, and you can also find me on Twitter at Slim Clifty. Awesome. Hey, Mike, before you go, second half, who's the guy we want to get? I think a guy that's going to have a huge second half is Patrice Bergeron. Um, he's obviously been pretty disappointed, disappointing in the first half. I think he's, you know, he's on pace for under 40 points, under 20 goals. Um, that top line with Pasenak and Marshawn, um, they're just, they're on an, nearly on another level when it comes to generating scoring chances and generating offense. And I think a lot of it's just been, um, some unlucky bounces for Bergeron. So I think he has a monster, um, final two and a half months here this season. All right, Mike, let's have you on, uh, in a couple of weeks and we'll talk again. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me on Lawrence. All right, brother. Have a good day. Bye now. That was Michael Clifford at slim Cliffy on Twitter. Probably the most knowledgeable fantasy hockey guy. I know love talking hockey with him. Uh, this is the dynasty sports empire.com podcast. I am Lawrence Marino. If you are in the market for fantasy baseball leagues, this is the time to get down to the site. Pick up an orphan. Adopt an orphan team. There's so many nice orphans out there. I'm sure there's one for you. Check out our site. Join a startup league. Plenty of startup leagues going on. Uh, $10 Draftmaster walk-off leagues. About five different types of those. Get down to the site. Check them out. DynastySportsEmpire.com is the site for everyone over at DSE. My name is Lawrence Marino. Have a great day. And I'll do